We thank the Lord for his mercy. It gave us a beautiful day today. As we drove here from uh, New York and from other places, what a wonderful mercy of the Lord. And to have gathered us together safely, again, we thank the Lord. We pray for those who are coming even now, as they join with us, that they could enter right into what the Lord is saying. We have uh, three uh, speakers this weekend in these main meetings. Our brother Stephen is going to speak on the stewardship of the mysteries of God. I've been asked to speak on the stewardship of the manifold grace of God. And our brother Ernie's going to share on the character of God's steward. So I'd like for us to turn and read the portion that has been given to me in 1 Peter. If you'll turn there in 1 Peter chapter 4. And you'll see this phrase, stewards of the manifold grace of God, there in chapter 4 and verse 10. So let's look at that verse first. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So this is what I'll be sharing on in the two sessions that I will have with you. But tonight I'd like for us to begin uh, since people have come in here, and uh, I know everybody's tired, and we'll trust the Lord to refresh us, I'd like to begin just by more or less uh, showing an example of a steward, namely the Apostle Peter himself. And I'd like us to therefore read uh, this chapter 4. We're going to read uh, from verse 1 through 13, just to get a little larger context of our, uh, the Apostle Peter as he's being a good steward himself and encouraging others in this stewardship. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mindedness, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, 
so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. We'll stop there, and let's just have another prayer. Our Father, we're so aware of your grace in our lives, so rich, so many various colors of that love and that grace. And we sense that that grace has drawn us together for this important gathering this weekend. You have entrusted to us the mysteries and the grace and we would come back to you and say, Lord, you have entrusted these things to us, but without the help of the Holy Spirit, we can neither faithfully nor prudently dispense these things. Help us. We ask that you, by the Spirit, would refresh our bodies and our minds tonight. That you would take our minds from distracting things that we have driven from into the very house of God where your spirit can minister to us as the steward of stewards, even as we share things one with another. Thank you, Lord, for the precious fellowship of the saints, for just the gladness of being together in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray that our time would be profitable as we look at these precious stewardships that we have been entrusted with. We want to commit this time now into your hands in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Peter is writing this letter, probably from Rome, many people think, and to the sojourners, as he calls them. That is, to various saints strewn out across the Roman Empire, and he wants to encourage them by this letter. But the word of God has been gracious to us in allowing us to watch Peter's growth from those uh, early days of impetuous speech and frequent blunders. We see him now writing this letter in his maturity with Christ-likeness. He has grown from being a fisherman to a fisher of men, from a disciple to an apostle, and from a servant to a steward. Because as we'll see this weekend, a steward is only a servant who realizes that what they've been given by the grace of God has been entrusted to them to use not for themselves, but for the glory of God. As we read that last phrase there, we'll read verse 11 again, you'll see. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's why we have been given grace. And now, if we realize it, we are stewards of these grace and these gifts for the glory of God. 
Peter has grown in Christ-likeness. And of course, at this time in his life, we see him before us as an example of a faithful and prudent steward. It's an amazing thing, the change in Peter's life. It's an amazing thing, the change in our lives. As the Lord changes us and teaches us how to be good stewards of all that he has given to us. But we know that uh, in this stewardship, Peter had the advantage of watching Jesus, who while he was upon this earth was the servant of God and the steward of stewards. No one steward is that which God had given him better than the Lord Jesus himself when he was upon the earth. And Peter watched that stewardship as he was with Jesus those three plus years. And for the sake of uh, teaching simplicity, I want to uh, just explain these stewardships in this way. Peter saw Jesus on the mountaintops as a steward of the mysteries of God. But Peter also saw Jesus in the valley as a steward of the manifold grace of God. If you think of the privilege of Peter to follow and travel with Jesus, we often find Jesus and Peter together in a mountain setting. And in those settings, Jesus often was stewarding and revealing the mysteries of God. And so we find the first time in that Sermon on the Mount a discovery of the mysteries of the kingdom being explained by Jesus to his disciples. And then after a period of time, we see Jesus again with Peter up on the foothills of Mount Hermon. There, the Lord Jesus opened up to Peter as a steward of the mysteries of God, the mysteries of who he was. Who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter had that revelation. And the mystery of Christ was opened to Peter on that mountaintop. But it must have been overwhelming that within the next few minutes, the Lord indeed began to minister on other mysteries of the things of God, including the mystery of the church. You'll remember his immediate response is, upon this rock I will build my church. And as far as we know, this is the first time that Jesus mentioned this word church to his disciples. And then very soon after that, it says Jesus began to speak to his disciples on the mystery of the cross there on the mountaintop. And we're led to understand that disciples didn't really quite understand that at all. And it was only eight days after that that they were up perhaps on another mountain or perhaps higher up on Mount Hermon when those three disciples, including Peter, saw Jesus transfigured and saw something of the mystery of the glory of the Son of God. What, what a time of fireworks in Peter's life. Our Lord Jesus sharing with these Man, the, the, a stewardship of the mysteries of God. Of course, it was on Mount Calvary that Peter saw firsthand the mystery of the gospel worked out before his eyes. 
And then again on Mount of Olives that the steward Jesus revealed to Peter and the other apostles the whole matter of the mystery of the second coming. And so we see Jesus, faithful steward Jesus. Praise God, Jesus was faithful to reveal these things of God and give them to the disciples. They may become stewards of these same things. But it's also just as true, for they only spent some brief days in the mountains. Day by day, Jesus was a steward of the grace of God. John said our beholding of Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus just manifests grace in everything he did. I wonder how the disciples must have felt as they looked at Jesus and how he could love the riffraff, the broken people, the lepers, the lame, the poor, the sinners. Jesus was a steward of the grace of God and brought many of them to a saving understanding just by his love and his care. But it goes much deeper than that. Because Peter saw in an indelible way Jesus' stewardship of the grace and love of God toward him and the other disciples. I mean, you had to be pretty patient to deal with that 12. And Jesus was gracious and patient so often in his journey, taking them aside, when he felt pressed to go from here to there, yet he'd have to stop and say, okay, let me explain the parable, because they seemed to not get any of the parables at the first shot. But he was so patient and so understanding of their frame. He, as he said to the Father when he prayed back to the Father before Calvary, he said, Father, I have kept them, which to me is a miracle. I, I feel like any uh, mom and dad who actually keep their children as they're growing up in the Lord has done a miraculous thing. But certainly more so for Jesus, to be able to say, I have kept them and none of them have been lost except the son of perdition. What a faithful, what a prudent stewardship that is. And then, of course, when it came down to crunch time, to know the unfathomable mercy of a Lord who could forgive a betrayer, to forgive Peter for his falling away at the end in betrayal. Oh, such a wonderful, wonderful Lord. And so Peter saw all of these things. He saw Jesus in all of these wonderful ways. And when Peter himself was filled with the Holy Spirit and commissioned to go out, he, of course, became and grew as a servant of God into a steward of both the mysteries of God and the manifold grace of God himself. Now, I think we most often think of Peter in terms of being that one who was a steward of the mysteries of God. Because wherever he went, he turned the key and the door of the kingdom opened up. So many were saved as he preached the gospel. He drew people into the kingdom 
And then, because of his apostleship and along with the other apostles and prophets, he laid the foundation of the church in Christ Jesus. What a tremendous stewardship that is. And this man who was, well, I don't want to say that Peter was undependable, but he certainly was a little bit uh, fickle. And yet now, under the training of the work of the cross and the Holy Spirit, Peter is becoming faithful laying in the foundation in people's lives of Jesus Christ, story after story, teaching after teaching. What a faithful steward he was of the mysteries of the church and of Christ and of the kingdom. We think of him that way, and of course he was that way. But remember, the last time Peter saw Jesus before Jesus was taken up, was there at the Sea of Galilee, and you remember what happened there. The Lord specifically charged Peter with being a steward of the manifold grace of God when he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And so Peter, Peter not only was a steward of the mysteries of God, but he was also a steward of the manifold grace of God, the love of God. And so we find him here in this passage before us as a faithful steward, calling himself in this um, a book, preferring to call himself, as it were, a fellow elder, and talking to the saints as one who is a fellow shepherd among the other shepherds. You see, these two stewardships go hand in hand. The Lord wants to recover both of these realities in the church life, doesn't he? Not just those who study the mysteries, the deep things of God, and are all head and no heart. Too often, people who are called deeper life churches seem to be that way. They don't have time for one another. They're too busy in the clouds. And yet at the same time, there's other churches that seem to emphasize this matter of loving one another, caring for one another, forgiving one another. But it's like you feel like you're in a nursery. But without a vision, this nursery will perish. There must be a goal of this gathering. And so the Lord would want us to be together in these stewardships. I think of one particular gift that the Lord gave to the church that to me exemplifies the, the way the, these two are inseparable. And it's the shepherd-teacher. Now, you know, in Ephesians chapter 4, it mentions these different uh, gifts that the Lord has given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists. But then when it mentions pastors and teachers, it doesn't mention them as two more separate uh, entities. But according to the uh, Greek, it seems to imply that the pastor is also the teacher and the teacher is also the shepherd. And that, to me, is a wonderful picture. Now, who is this shepherd teacher? Well, he needs to be one apt to teach and hopefully knowledgeable of the stewardship of the mysteries of God in order to teach effectively. And yet, at the same time, he needs to care for the sheep. What a vital ministry this is in the body of Christ. And I know that in every assembly where there's growth and there's life, there are these brothers. 
Now, now some tend to be better teachers than shepherds, and some better shepherds than teachers. But the fact that the two of them are together is so vital, so vital to the health of the church. And so Peter was one of these examples. And if the Lord is going to recover this in the church today, he needs to recover this among us as well. Stewards of the mysteries of God, stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now we will see as you look in 1 Peter, if you read the whole letter through a few times, you begin to see that Peter has two things in view when he talks about this uh, manifold grace of God, stewards of the manifold grace of God. He's thinking, first of all, of those men in leadership and those sisters even in leadership, those who are taking responsibility, who are entrusted with other people. You know, the Lord desires fullness. Manifold grace means grace in many, many forms. Many gifts, many lives, many blessings, many, many... Uh, little testimonies of Jesus and fullness, how we need fullness in our assemblies. That is to say, grace in its many colors. And it's important to those that, that are stewards in the assembly to be uh, those who promote that largeness, that grace in its manifestation. It's so large. We shouldn't shrink it down to one guy doing all the talking or three guys doing all the decisions and five people giving all the money. And you know what I'm saying. The, the grace of God is something that it should be expressed through every member of the body. Now, it, it behooves those who are those who are stewards in the assembly, some shepherds or elders or whatever you want to say, to promote that, to allow that to encourage it and to build it. As surely as Peter, as an apostle, was laying the foundation of the church through his ministry. So our responsibility is to make sure that that brother and that sister is, is revealing some of that grace that's been given to them in their salvation. And yet, we have to say, when you look at this specific um, verses, uh, chapter 4, 10, and 11, that Peter is actually saying, Everybody who has the grace of God is a steward. It isn't just a couple of guys or a few or, you know, some kind of a remnant, but every brother and sister. Everyone has a gift, and therefore everyone is a steward. And what are you doing with the grace that has been supplied? So, so you see, this is a large context here. And uh, actually, next time I speak, I think tomorrow night, uh, we will delve into that. But tonight, since it's just an introductory night, again, and having presented Peter, as it were, as a steward, I would like to do just one final thing uh, as we study this chapter and this uh, letter together, and it's this. I wonder if, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we couldn't enter in to a sense of the context and the spirit in which these things are spoken. It's important to understand the times that Peter was speaking in. 
Important uh, for the sake of just understanding why he was saying what he was saying, but even more important is for us to realize how similar our times are to the times that Peter were in. And it's at just such a time that the Lord sent, brings to the forefront the priority of certain graces to be revealed. You see, as the seasons and the times in the church changes, there is called forth different priorities of ministry, of service, and of grace. You know what I'm saying? In other words, just a simple example, in a season of harvest, well, I think we need evangelists to the fore. In a time of establishment and growth, well, I hope we have teachers who can help in that edifying process. If it's a season of repentance, surely we need some prophets who can speak that word that brings conviction to our hearts. Do you see different times call for a different emphasis, a different priorities? And the times that Peter was writing in to these sojourners was a time that demanded a certain priority of their lives. Brothers and sisters, the priorities of our lives must be shaped by the times in which we live. An awareness of the time makes us good and prudent stewards. And so I would just like to share three aspects of the time and the three necessary responses that we find in 1 Peter when you look at the letter as a whole. Because tucked within this, then we can begin to understand what it means to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The first thing is this. I'll just mention the three and then we'll look at each one, okay? First thing is this. Peter says, what time it is? It's the last days. And because it's the last days, it necessitates us having sound judgment and sober prayer. You see, in the last days, these things are very important. Secondly, we see in the letter of 1 Peter that they were in a time of trial. And in a time of trial, of testing, that it necessitates fervent When the saints and the church is in a time of trial and tribulation, there needs to be manifest this grace. Be fervent in your love one for another. You see, it calls for that. And then the third thing that we'll look at, just almost like just by a Bible study, looking at some verses, and I think you'll see it's very simple tonight. The third thing is this. Peter was also very aware that these saints through all of their trials, were also in a time of public scrutiny. That is to say, the world is watching, examining, testing. And this necessitates 100% holy living. When the world is watching, we need to be faithful with sanctified lives so that they can see the reason for the hope that's within us. So these three things, I'd just like to share together as a Bible study because brothers and sisters, you know, we need to be cognizant of what time it is in our midst. May the Lord help us to see that. 
Let's just look at some verses then. The first I said was that the, it's the last days. Well, we saw that in chapter 4 and verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Please uh, open a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody next to you because we're now going to look at the 15 scriptures. Okay? And chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, you see, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The last days, the necessity of watchfulness, sobriety, sound judgment and prayer. Now let's look at uh, some other verses regarding the last days. And it's interesting that Peter, I suppose everybody has their own uh, words to use. What do you think Peter's words are when he's talking about uh, the second coming in the end? Here's what Peter always refers to it as. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at this. In chapter 1, in verse 7, we see the last days put in these terms. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I can't help thinking of this. Peter walked with Jesus and saw an amazing man. And then the revelation came and he saw Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And now Peter is waiting, waiting for Jesus to come back. Could I just see him once more? A revelation of Jesus now in his glory. What a, you can almost sense, I think, in Peter, an anticipation as he talks about the last days. Because it will be the days of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful good news, isn't it, for Christians? Uh, in chapter 1, verse 13, he mentions it again. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. And chapter 4, and verse 13, once again. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Oh, that's so wonderful. Here's how we should think of the end of times. Don't think of the last days as, oh, tribulation. Oh, the end of Christ. We should think of the end times as the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter's heart was awaiting. But Peter also sensed in his stewardship, now if we're living in the last days, we must live with sound judgments and sobriety unto prayer. We already read those verses uh, in verse uh, 7 of chapter 4. Let's just look at a couple of more here. Again, we see in chapter 1, verse 13, the same idea of this necessity of sobriety and the preparation of mind. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. The understanding that the Lord is coming back soon needs to change our way of thinking. Chapter 4 and verse 1. 
Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind, is what it says, the same mindedness, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now this term, uh, sound judgment there in chapter four, verse seven, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment. It means have a saved mind. It actually is the combination of the word sozo, saved, and mind. Have a saved mindset. Let your mind be clear, be sound, be healthy. Understand what's going on. This is what it's talking about. This word is used when Paul, uh, when the, uh, Jesus cast the, de the demons out of the legion and he was found clothed and in his, this is the word. This is the word that uh, Paul uses when he says, if I'm beside myself, it's for the Lord. If I'm of this word, it's for your sake. There's a sense of prudence. There's a sense of understanding. There's a clarity. In one of the brother's prayers, I, I heard this alluded to. In the last days, for most people, there is a dip dissipation and a chaos and a, a losing of the grip. But for those who know the Lord in the last days, there is a prudence and a sound judgment and a stability by the grace of God and the necessity of sober prayer. Of course, we know our Lord Jesus exhorted his disciples and us as well to watch and pray for you. You know not when he is coming. And so, do we understand this mark of the times that we're in right now? I, I, I feel sometimes um, when I see uh, um, Christians just completely sort of casual and unconcerned about their spiritual development. They're not serious about the word of God, nor their prayer life. I just feel badly because I feel like it represents so much of the church that's asleep right now, at a time where we need to be awake. And we're asleep because, of course, we're trusting in, you know, the banks, what could go wrong, Wall Street. That will last forever. Certainly the U.S. government, you can bank on that. Many, many people just casually saying, oh, everything will be all right. Well, maybe it will for now. But there is this understanding for those who love the Lord. You know he's coming soon. And it changes our attitude and our thinking. And it changes our prayer being alert and aware of what's going on. That's the first thing we notice throughout this letter. The second thing, as I mentioned before, is this. Of course, these uh, sojourners that Peter was writing to were going through various trials. We saw that in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And then we noticed again in chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were 
were happening to you. But we can also see in chapter 1, verse 6, reference being made to their trials. In our salvation, we greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And then again in chapter 5, reading verses 8 through 10, If you have a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish times of trial call for a response of grace in the body of Christ our natural response in times of trial is to sort of uh, get a bunker mentality sort of close the doors and uh, hide and sort of cut off <clears throat> any sense of generosity and pull back Exactly the opposite is called for when the saints are going through trials. It's a time for fervent love, for generous hospitality, for a sense of home and keeping and protection, forgiveness. And as we'll see, this chapter 4 is full of one another, one another, loving one another, being hospitable one to another. It's exactly the time to open up and be charitable among the saints because they're going through trial. Because this manifests the way the Lord was toward us. And so uh, we saw that verse here in uh, chapter 4 that talks about uh, being loving. You know what the interesting thing is? Oh, let's look at a couple of more. In chapter 1, verse 22, we see uh, Peter on this since you have an obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart what wonderful words nothing held back fervently love one another from the heart and then we'll look at one more in chapter 3 and verse 8 and 9 sort of sums up a passage there on the wives and husbands living together. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. You were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. And here, in times of trouble, giving blessing to others, showing love. You know what's so interesting to me about First Peter? You remember at the, at the shore of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus said to Peter, do you agape me? Peter just couldn't say it. He stammered and said, well, 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 well I like you. He just couldn't say it. Now his letter, nine times, full of agape. Agape one another fervently. What has he discovered? The agape of God shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Spirit. 
Of course he can agape God, because God gave him the agape first. For those of you who are confused, agape is the Greek word for love. And Peter, who couldn't use that word at the Sea of Galilee, now is speaking of this agape among the brothers. He uses his double on two occasions. I think you'd probably notice, right? He says, uh, uh, Philadelphia, which means brotherly love, Philadelphia with agape. Show brotherly love with agape love. That's what we do in times of trial. That's what we do when the saints are going through a rough patch. You know, it's difficult to serve the Lord today and go on. Sometimes, you know, sit in a prayer meeting and you see somebody coming in when it's halfway through or you come in real late and you almost want to say, hey, why don't you come on time? What's the matter with you? Uh, or you see somebody in a prayer meeting and they sit there for the whole hour and 20 minutes or whatever and they don't say a word. You just want to kick them. Come on, you're here to pray, pray. But you know, behind everybody's life, there's a story up in New York of somebody who had to take the subway and the subway broke down and they had to take the bus from this street to that street then they got back on the subway and they got there. And you know what? We should just praise God that somebody made the meeting. You know what I'm saying? These are tough times. Somebody comes in late, sure, but they drove 35 miles to get there. Let's love one another fervently. How wonderful we could gather together even this weekend Behind every shining face or sleepy face, <laughs> there's a story here tonight, even tonight, of how you made it here anyhow. So I'm glad you're here. Then the third thing that he speaks about is, can you believe through the trials and everything, we're under public scrutiny? Oh, how the world watches Christians. They poke Christians to see what they'll do. They test and watch. They use foul language in front of you just, just to see how you're going to react. Oh, First uh, Peter is full of uh, this uh, testament to this sort of scrutiny. Look at the chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. After sharing about us being a, a ch royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a peculiar people, then he it's very practical in verse 11. He says, Now, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Isn't that wonderful? Under public scrutiny. Chapter 2, verses 15 for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brethren, fear God, honor the king. We're being watched. Then down in verse 20. What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor, grace is the word there, with God. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Well, I won't go into it. I don't want to get after the women tonight. 
But it even says that your unbelieving husband is watching you to see your life before him. And so we're under this public scrutiny. And what is to be our response? Holy living. Let's look at some verses again. Chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Let's follow verse 13. We've read it twice already. Carry it on a few more verses. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which, you, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, I don't know that we need to read it again, but he reminds them that they all already spent enough time with the Gentiles and dissipation and drunken parties and all kinds of lusts and sensuality. But now in verse 4, your worldly non-Christian friends are quite surprised that you no longer run this way. What a change has happened in our lives. In chapter uh, Chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name, that is, the name Christian. So in the time of public inspection, all the more important for us to be aware of the fact we need to sanctify our lives in daily consecration and live in a different way. Many young people have a reaction today, and I understand it. Uh, it. It sounds reasonable. They see sometimes the strictures of the church and the caricature of the, of the goody-goody church and everything like that. And some young people are tempted to show their non-Christian friends that they're just as human as their friends. And they can talk just like their friends in the language. They can wear the same stuff, even put on the same tattoos. They can drink with the best of them and otherwise act in dissipation, completely involved in worldly matters, whether it's video games, betting on horses, doing sports all the time, just all the time, all the time, in the world, in the world. And, and the young people think, this will attract my non-Christian friends to Christ but it doesn't. Because what they see is somebody, and they can tell there's something different. It's mostly your words. But your actions show you're just the same. And you'll find in the long run, people are not drawn to the Lord by this. 
And as a matter of fact, what happens is the dissipation of their lives becomes, begins to be the dissipation in your life. When your non-Christian friends can laugh with you about the time you had a hangover, now there's something wrong with your life. It's a shame to the Lord. You may think it's funny. Or for us to be completely involved in the world and worldly things, whatever they might be. I don't mean necessarily bad things even. With no sense of sanctimony, no sense of sanctification, no separation. The Bible says this, and all I can say is we must test the Bible on this. Now, the Bible does not say, let's all wear black clothes with hooks. It's not saying we act abnormal. The Lord expects us just to live modestly in this world and not to make a point of how different we are. But the word of God says, if you will have a testimony of holiness, sanctifying Christ as Lord of your heart, and your non-Christian friends will see it, they will be convicted and come to Christ. But if you can't see a difference between you and them, then there's nothing to do. It's just that, hey, this guy talks the Christian talk, and I talk my foul language, otherwise we're just the same. There's very much a difference. And you must realize that this public scrutiny you're under is not just men who are looking. Indeed, the angels are watching. And the Lord himself, to see if you're stewarding your holiness in a way that gives glory to God. So now we have seen the context in which we can appreciate it when Peter says, be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. But we turn to Luke chapter 12, finally, and uh, the verse that is used in the brochure and the parable that was spoken by the Lord. But I want you just to notice something here. Because it was this same Peter who's writing this letter. And this parable of the steward was an answer to him. You see, the Lord was speaking there in chapter 12, if you'll just look at scan, verse 35 through 40. He comes to verse 40 after talking about being ready. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Then Peter said, thank God, Peter always spoke up said what we would have said, but we're afraid to say. And Peter said, Lord, are you addressing the parable to us or to everybody else? And the Lord said, who then is a faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day that he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That's a very hard parable. But it's just speaking about knowing the times that we're in. Are we asleep, or do we know it's the last days? Then let's be awake, sound, sober-minded, in prayer. Do we know we're in a time of trials? 
certainly we seem to be knocking on the door of a time of tribulation. It's a time to be open and pouring forth the fervent love of God among brothers and sisters. Do we realize even now we're under public scrutiny? And it's a time to live a life that's different because Christ is the center of our heart and to live in such a way that those who are seeking after truth can find the Lord Jesus and be saved in these last days. Are we faithful and prudent stewards? May the Lord help the church in these days to be stewards of the manifold grace So, our dear Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to this earth to show us the perfect steward. And then you have sent others before us, like Peter, faithful, prudent, as a steward of the mysteries of God and the manifold grace of God. And now you charge us, you entrust us with the grace of God in this generation. Oh, Lord we could be made aware of your purpose in our lives, that we're just not somebody out there floating on a sea of nothingness, but you have given us a personal and holy calling to take those things you have given us and distribute them and use them wisely for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. Teach us how to live in these days, Lord. We want to be good stewards. We know our rewards are all involved uh, uh, in this matter of stewardship. Lord, teach us thy ways. We pray in Jesus' name.